the Adonis audio experience. Hello, everyone. Before we get into it, I just want to thank each and every person who has tuned in and listened to this podcast. You have no idea what that means to me. This was a project that started as just simple fun. It continues to be simple fun. And more importantly, it's an outlet for me to express my thoughts, points of view, and just ultimately, it's creating connection with many, many people. So my ask is that you share this with one friend or family member that you feel would enjoy talking about sports, life, and many other things in between. So again, feel free to share this podcast with a friend or family member. I look forward to sharing more thoughts and ideas and just anecdotal stuff that happens in everyday life. So stay tuned. Welcome everyone on this beautiful Saturday morning. I'm joined by Jose. Jose, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, enjoy, you know, just living in the new normal and taking it one day at a time and enjoying the last dance. That's how awesome. Doing? I'm doing great, man. So as you mentioned, the last dance episodes three and four, um, we're, we're about to get into it. One thing that I, I really enjoyed was how they went through the progression with Dennis Rodman, how he was just a young adult living in the projects, no father, then the Bad Boys Pistons, young and innocent, just evolving and being that enforcer and just extreme athleticism that he had. And, you know, to later getting picked up by the Spurs, where you started seeing more of that extroverted personality with the hair and just being, you know, that bad boy, um, which I guess was more exposed with the Spurs because you didn't have as many uh, ruthless players like you did on the Pistons to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. MJ retiring and. You know, then coming back and Dennis Rodman joined the team and, you know, Pippen and MJ keeping them in control. And then obviously it ends in that 97, 98 story where they go to Vegas and they just have to uh, bring back Dennis from his vacation, which, you know, that's kind of like a brief synopsis of how these two episodes went down. But let's really dig into it and let's start at, at the beginning man what what was your take with these uh with this Dennis Rodman episode you know I mean I've heard so much about Rodman now because I also saw the bad boys documentary it came out like three or four years ago when he gets a lot of publicity in that that's true. I mean I mean he's such a complex guy I mean he doesn't go to college till he's 22. He's like a baggage handler at an airport, and then he grows like six inches when he's like 19, and he goes to like this Division two school, Southeast Oklahoma, you know, and yeah. and just blows up and you know gets discovered, and yeah. and that's where like you know 
the mythical creature that is Dennis Rodman, you know, was born. Yeah. You know, and he was, you know, he's an integral piece to those Piston teams. You know, it's so crazy because Isaiah in the interview, he gets into it where he's like, you know, Dennis was this beautiful person when he first came to the Pistons and he was just so innocent and he had this naivete about the world. But obviously he found out pretty quick what his powers were and what life was all about, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, I heard Shaquille O'Neal talking about this in an interview where he talks about when guys come into the league with one set of values and some guys get into the league and they get, to use his words, they get turned around, you know, yeah. the yeah. money, the fame, you know, yeah, you know, the, the women, you know, and they weren't even making crazy money back then, but, you know, it's still... Yeah. You know, comparatively speaking, he was doing all right. Well, the exposures, it, yeah, is huge. The exposure, you know, and they start winning, you know, and, and then I, I liked what Isaiah said about him basically saying the huge differences between Dennis Rodman, the piston, and Dennis Rodman, the bull. That Dennis was like this, this quiet, didn't go out, didn't drink with Detroit. You know, he never got in trouble or anything, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and then he goes to the Bulls. You know, when we got we got the dyed hair, we got the Vegas trip. You know, he, oh you yeah, know, he him shutting down at the beginning of the year when Scotty's not there until until I like that that little story where Jordan tells him where Jordan says you know he came to my room and asked for a cigar and like that was his like complex way of apologizing. Yeah, for screwing that game up. Yeah, because in the, in the ninety seven ninety eight season, uh, he let yes. him, he let him down early on in the season, and Jordan was like, "Man, I was counting on you, and you know, you 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 let me down, man." And that 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 was big heart uh, on Dennis to to sit down with Jordan because Jordan was was not easy on his teammates, man. He was relentless. No, he really was. He really was, and um. <clears throat> You know, Rodman just, you know, but he really fits that team so perfectly because he, you know, he took all the, I mean, I love that one, and we're going kind of back and forth here between years, but it's our, you know, that one series, he's guarding Shaq on the Magic, and he's given up like 100 pounds, and he is, I mean, he is completely giving it to Shaq, and Rodman's like 6'8". Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people forget when Rodman first came out, and he played with those Pistons, Rodman would defend Jordan, and Jordan would defend Rodman. Like, Rodman was a wing defender that also defended the post. That's how versatile and strong he was, till as he became more of a seasoned veteran, he just started dedicating his time to just big men. So he had to deal with guys who had 50, 100 pounds on him, and he would do it in a way like you've never seen before in your life. So, you know, Rodman was absolutely a freak. He was absolutely a head case. And, you know, one thing that I do appreciate about Rodman is that I don't think you'll ever see that level of athleticism and that level of commitment to a certain craft uh, for the foreseeable future. Like, he was a scorer early on in his days, right? And, And then he... You know, he just told himself, listen, if I'm going to come into the NBA and dominate, 
I'm going to grab every rebound. I'm going to defend the best player on the court because that's what's going to make me great. And, you know, that's one of the things I truly appreciate with Rodman. But, you know, back to those 80s Pistons, man. I mean, you know, what was your take uh, on the whole thing? J- just getting into the the Pistons uh, in, in particular and the way they won those championships and how they carried themselves and all that kind of shit that went down. I think they kind of get a raw deal. I mean, they're a good team. They're a good team, you know, and everybody just wants to tell you that they won two championships because Bill Lambeer kept putting people in the third row. But, I mean, they won 63 games that first year they won a title. Yeah. They go to three straight finals. They mm-hmm. go to five straight Eastern Conference finals, you know, and they should have won the 88 finals. They kind of got a short, you know, the short end of the stick in that series. Yeah. You know, and because, you know, you know, Jordan brings up the not shaking hands. And yeah, I mean, I went back. I went back and watched the end, yeah, of series in the '80s. I watched the end of the '85 Finals when yeah. the Lakers beat the Celtics, no yeah. handshake. Uh, the '87 Finals when when the Lakers beat the Celtics, there, nobody shook hands. Same thing, you know. When yeah. when Detroit got beat by the Lakers in '88, nobody, you know, nobody really shook hands. And Larry Bird came out this week and said, you know, when the game was over, you know, I didn't want to shake Magic's hand either way. He was like. He's like, you know, there was like some serious hatred there. <clears throat> and I think that like this is like they're paying like a humongous punishment for a 10 cent crime, you know, and I, you know, I just don't think that that's really fair. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So totally, totally agree. But to put it into some context, Jordan in the last two years that he got beat up by the Pistons, he shook their hands he gave them that respect and the Lakers and the Celtics, there was a a serious rivalry and hate. And you could say, you know what? Maybe the Pistons thought that the Bulls and the Pistons were what the Lakers and the Celtics were, where they could display that same type of raw emotion, raw hatred. And That's all well and good, but this was a new league that was changing. This league was changing to the tune and the beat of Michael Jordan. And a lot of people don't want to realize that and they don't want to accept it, but it's the truth. People, even on other teams, were following this guy's command. He was taking the league by storm and he did it by a regimented process the absolute pursuit to winning, but also the absolute sportsmanship. And that's the piece that I feel that was missing with those Pistons teams. And you may disagree with this point, but at the end of the day, if you're, if your opponent like Jordan was to the Pistons shakes your hands after you physically beat the shit out of them and you just walk with your head down, ducked away there's got to be some ramifications to that, no? You know, I, li- I like your point that um, that maybe the times are changing and they just didn't change fast enough. Because, you know, I mean, and I even want, I wanted to mention just one last series. When the Pistons beat the Lakers, when they won their first championship, also, you know, nobody shook any hands there. And I, I mean, I heard an interview with Bill Lambeer this week and one with Isaiah where Isaiah's kind of regretful because he's like, listen, if we were going to be talking about this 30 years later, we would have just shook their hands 
And that's fine. But I kind of like the way Bill Lambeer went about it. He's like, listen, we handed the Bulls the torch the way it got handed to us. You know, the the Celtics ran off the floor when we finally beat them, you know, and they kind of just thought that was the way. On top of the fact that Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan said very derogatory things about the Pistons. And honestly, I might not want to shake your hands either if you say that our championships, you know, didn't raise the level of the league. You know, we... We, you know, we did not help move basketball in a forward direction, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, and he, you know, they really went after like their identity as a team and everybody played physical back then. I mean, it's like, it's a, uh, that classic footage of Kevin McHale clotheslining Kurt Rambis. And for some reason, yeah, that's, that's considered competitive, but when the Pistons did it, you know, it was something else and they just, you know, they just really weren't well liked, you know, they were not well liked. Yeah, and again, I get to the point that the league was changing. You know, Kurt Rambis is not a world beater, you know, and if him and McHale, two, you know, unathletic power forwards slash centers want to go at it with each other, they could do that. But the league was seeing the likes of Dominique Wilkins, Clyde the Glide Drexler, Michael Jordan, and to a certain extent, Isaiah Thomas. So the league was seeing a growth of wing players who were introducing a different level of athleticism that was evolving and growing the game. So to Jordan's point, I think that, yeah, the Pistons were not growing the game. The Pistons were staying in a very stale, stagnant position where it was just very unathletic and at the end of the day if you if you need to push a guy with two hands and almost end his career that's not the brand of basketball that I want to watch it really isn't and you saw that a lot we're not talking about hard fouls that if you drive up and I bang against your chest and you stand your ground I totally expect you to do that but if I'm running to the hoop and you literally are not playing the ball and you put two hands on me while I'm in the air to drop and I break a knee, a foot, a ankle, you know, what if I break my collarbone because you did that? I don't know. I just see it a little different. And when the big guys used to bang into each other like that in the early eighties and in the seven, in the late seventies to a certain extent, yeah, maybe that was the, the, the nomenclature. That was the way you went about it. But as soon as these wing players started growing the game and the popularity of the game, you needed to adjust at some point. And that's my only point, is that the Pistons were maybe a couple years behind the curve. But to their point, they did win those championships with their style and they were playing within the rules of the game at the time where today you could never get away with any of that shit. Even Rodman said that. Of course. No, you can never get away with that now. You you never could. I just, you know, yeah, it's still, I mean, that style of basketball did lag into a decent part of the nineties with your beloved Knicks. Fair enough. The, the, the Pacers with the Davis boys. I mean, there was some of that, the heat, those were wars, the Miami teams, when, you know, when Riley jumped shit with Lonzo, yep. with, uh, with Alonzo Mourning. I just, you know, I mean, 
Yep. I get it. I mean, and honestly, they probably, most of them, except for maybe Bill Lambeer, would probably just shake their hands because they just, I just didn't understand how they got so much grief over this when, you know, and yeah, I mean, and, and forgive me for me for saying this. If we ever lived in the parallel universe where Jordan got picked off by the Jazz or something in one of those series, yeah, and he didn't shake their hands, the public would spin it. In my humble opinion, they would spin it in him being like the ultimate competitor. You know, like that's I, I, I don't so, know, I, I don't that, know about that. That that's a stretch because he didn't. Uh-huh. You know, so this whole hypothetical thing about Jordan not shaking someone's hand. He didn't, though. Jordan was a competitor, and he was ruthless, but he played within the spirit that the game is meant to be played in, which is you're still tough. Because, look, Jordan's teammates didn't even like him because he was too tough. Jordan's teammates were like, man, this guy expected a certain standard, and he knew that if he didn't push us to a certain level, that we mentally might not be able to survive the playoff runs of the Detroit Pistons of the 90s Knicks, you know, because to to your point, yeah, the 90s Knicks were like a a version of the Pistons that that were maybe one Isaiah Thomas away from just being, you know, a a legendary team, I guess. Yeah, it definitely won in the championship because, I mean, they almost won one anyway. Yeah. You know, you know, fair enough. I mean, you've made some really good points. I just, you know, you know, I feel like he he. It's definitely a little personal with them, and you know, and then they allude to the fact that somebody I don't know who wants to take, who nobody's going to take ownership over this, but somebody kept Isaiah Thomas off the dream team. If it's Jordan, if it's Magic, it's absolute lunacy that he's not on that team. You know, and I, you yeah, know, I yeah. mean he he's no worse than like the fifth best player in the NBA at that time. You got twelve slots, and fine, you know they had to take they had to take a college kid, and they took Christian Leitner. Over yeah. Shaq, at the yeah. time, which also was a looks kind of like a crazy decision right now. But the college career that Christian Leitner had, he was the best. He, to, he was the best, you know. And nobody, you know, you didn't know yet that Shaq was going to go to the league and and, and go, yeah, go, go ape shit, yeah. You know, but you know, I mean, he was definitely kept off the dream team, and you know, so I mean, I think he paid for it. He paid for that. He paid for his sins in a best, for sure, in a big way, in, in in a huge way because that '92 dream team. That that's that's always going to be remembered where the greatest players came together and just dominated the world. And to not have Isaiah Thomas on that team is taking a little bit of history away from that 80s, 90s mix um, that you can't mention 80s, 90s basketball without mentioning Isaiah Thomas without a doubt. And. You know, I'm not saying that the the players did this, but Isaiah Thomas didn't get along with Magic. Isaiah Thomas didn't get along with Jordan. And at the time, Magic knew that he was passing the torch to Jordan. When the Lakers lost to Jordan, he said, you know what? If I'm going to lose, I'm glad that I'm losing to Michael Jordan because that's that's how it should be lost to the guy who's carrying the game forward. And, you know, the NBA was in a very odd transition. And, you know, I think Isaiah Thomas just got caught up in a very strange transition and shift in the league from guys like Magic and Bird to Jordan. And no one really cared much for the the bad boys Pistons, though you still have to write that history because they won two championships. 
and to a no. greater extent, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one more thing about the Dream Team. One person that never really gets mentioned that should have had his, you would assume would have had his back, the coach of the team is his coach, you know, and he's no longer <laughs> with us, so nobody can ask him. But, I mean, that's your coach, and you're still not on the team. So, I mean, I mean, they definitely have to be, you know, but for them to tell, you know, that's a, listening yeah. to for listening to interviews and them saying that you know nobody kept them off the team, I was like, just don't don't tell me that, you know. Yeah. You can just tell us, you know, we're not going to find out. Fine, but you know, he belongs on that team and he's not there, you know. And unfortunately, the odd man out probably would have been my guy, John Stockton. So I guess it worked out the way, you know, it worked out all right. You know, it's funny because, and and we'll we'll get into Rodman uh, in a second, but Stockton was a great passer. But now watching him in that dream team is a little odd because Stockton just doesn't hold a candle to Isaiah. He just really doesn't. Like Isaiah was was at that time in particular, clearly the better player. Um, so to watch Stockton on that team was surprising. But listen, I don't want to disrespect Stockton. He was an all time passer. And he was in the mix for many years. And I know you're a diehard Utah fan. But, you know, that that is a smack in the face. Stockton's there. My coach is coaching the team. And I'm Isaiah yeah. Thomas, and I'm not on that team. You know, I mean, listen, it's a discussion. Isaiah's better. I mean, Isaiah's clearly better. Isaiah's the clear number one choice on a championship-winning team. You know, Utah hadn't even re- even been that close yet at that time. Exactly. You know, they don't, yeah. You know, and, and Carmelo's probably the best guy on that team. And they had, a, yeah. you know, but that team was always missing something. They're kind of like the Knicks. They always just needed that third, you know, yeah, that second, that second, that, third guy that they could just go get them 15 a night. Cor- and, correct. And run, they they never had the that. Through that person for a while. Yeah, they never had it. They just never had it. Yeah. No, you know what? That That is a fair assessment. They, they were close in that sense. Um, although I think from a defensive standpoint, Patrick Ewing was just better defensively than Carl Malone. Um, even though well, definitely, yeah, um, that, that would be the, the only differences I would see, but you know, Malone definitely ran the ball. Well, um, he come off of picks, he could, uh, go in transition. So I don't want to take away from Carl, but you know, with, uh, with Rodman though, it's crazy how talent supersedes anything. If you're talented, you could get away with anything. And one thing that the documentary doesn't get into is that it doesn't go into the darkness of Rodman. And you know what? At the end of the day, a documentary needs to expose things that that you don't understand, that you don't see. And this documentary kind of just regurgitated the stuff that we already knew. We knew Rodman was a rock star and he was also a great basketball player with the crazy hair and the crazy personality. And, you know, not not growing up with a father figure, Rodman, you know, looked to his coaches like his father figures. And, and they all speak about that, including Phil Jackson, how they had this kind of zen buddhism connection um in their lives and 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 they got to you know that's how they formed their bond and the fact is that robin got a lot of rope and this dude goes to vegas with carmen electra just probably rolling his ass balls deep 
into crazy music, drinking for days. He's just probably laid out naked in some hotel. And then miraculously, Pippin and Jordan show up to Vegas and just scoop him up out of a hotel room and bring him back I to mean, the basketball court. I mean, come on. I mean, how, how great is that? I love when the reporter <laughs> asked him. I love when the reporter asked Jordan, and he came back in two days. He said, oh, no, he didn't come back in two days. We have to go get him out of bed. <laughs> Are you imagine that? Are you? That's just, you know, that that's crazy. I did love that Phil Jackson part. He really, They really showed his brilliance there how he knew how to handle different people. I mean, because a different coach is like, you're not going to Vegas. I mean, yeah. I mean, even the great, even the great, and this is a different sport. It's not exactly apples to apples, but, you know, but like even the great Bill Belichick, you imagine Gronkowski's like, hey, you know, we're in the playoffs already anyway. I need two days, you know, and he's not going to pick a game day. He's going to pick like two days of practice. Belichick's yeah. never letting him go. Yeah. And in this, and in this, in this, you know, uh, day and age, you know, somebody's going to find out now. It's It seems like that was almost kept under wraps back then. Oh, yeah. But, jo but Phil Jackson knowing what everybody needed, you know, and he's like, he needs this right now. And we're going to get him back. Yeah. We're going to get him back refreshed and strong. You know, that really showed, the you know, the brilliance of his coaching. And you know what? I mean, you have to give it to him because, you know, Jordan never won until he took over and Kobe and Shaq never won until he took over. And it was kind of the right place in the right time where, yeah. you know, Kobe got those three, four years of development. And this is not going to be a Lakers, you know, thing, but just talking about Phil. And, you know, everybody played their best under his watch. And that's just, you know, that's he he he, he, he knew what what Rodman needed and he came back. And how about how great is that little part there where Jordan's talking about the practice? He's like, well, Rodman's got to get back in shape now. Oh, so my God. The so they run the Indian mile. Yeah. And you know, I think I guess Jordan forgot what what a what a physical freak he was. And when he takes off, he's like, oh, "I took us four laps to catch him." You know how you know that is that, that is that crazy is right there. Rodman passed all of them, and it took him four laps to catch Rodman. And that was Rodman showing him, "Hey, listen, uh, I got this." And and Jordan respected that about him. He was like, "Listen, if you could take a few days off like that and come back and still outrun all of us, I mean." You, you could tell Jordan had a lot of respect of his athleticism, but you know, here's the other, here's the other part, man. Just real talk. Jordan goes to Vegas with Pippen and they just go to pick up Rodman. Come on, man. You know, I never thought about that. He kind of just slid that in there. I never thought that, you know, they probably went, they probably went at the same time Rodman did, and they were just doing two very different things. Yeah. Because, you know, Jordan, yeah. no secret, likes to gamble. Yep. You know? Yep. So I can imagine, you know, he spent, you know, 36 hours in front of a, you know, a blackjack table. And, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and, exactly. you know. Exactly. Exactly. This whole, and, but, but here's the shit, is that Jordan is still insulated by the media. He really is. Jordan is still insulated and people do not let the darkest stories come out, even in this day and age. And because in my opinion, if Jordan had to play in the social media age, I think he would be 10 times bigger than what you see even on LeBron James, just because of Jordan's attitude and his, his overall pursuit to greatness. You've seen... Yeah. Uh, great players like LeBron and Durant 
just not take the same approach or the same attitude. You, you just flat out see it. They're different people. And you know what? That's okay. We all evolve. But the part that I'm still just so confused is the affinity and love that the media has for Jordan till this day when they know that they're not going to get crucified by some some big media giant because they said something bad about Jordan. So I'm surprised. And, you know, there, there was negative press towards Jordan. I'm not going to say that there wasn't. But the fact that Jordan could go to Vegas and have like a simple just one liner. Oh, we want to pick up Rodman. And that was it. It's like it just it's it's just a classic story of how Jordan has lived a Cinderella kind of storybook, even though he was a, you know, degenerate gambler. I heard this guy would gamble on what suitcases were coming out first from the conveyor belt when they would land from the airport like he was obsessed with gambling to to, you know, to not have any of that story really come out like like the the really dark underbelly of all that gambling obsession i just think it does a little injustice to the documentary because those are the parts that in today's age we want to know about we know you're the greatest basketball player we saw you on tv shit yeah well you know and they say that you know history gets told by the winners so you know he gets to tell his version of it you know i i I hope that maybe in the next couple episodes because the timeline that they're following I mean, they, they have to touch on the retirement, you know, in the next, yeah. probably about the sixth episode. And maybe he gets into it a little bit. I mean, you know, yeah. probably not. But I mean, yeah, to, to what you say, I mean, you imagine like LeBron James on an off day in the middle of a playoff run, you yeah. know, if the, you know, if the Knicks ever make the playoffs again and he runs down to Atlantic City, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, he got such a pass for that. Things like, I mean, yeah. It's, it's true. Imagine J.R. Smith losing his shit and is like, I need to go to uh, freaking Vegas. And then LeBron goes and picks up J.R. Smith. You're not going to see any of that story on social media? Hell no. You'll see the entire thing. and you, you know, You'll see the women. You'll see the, the, the party favors. You'll see the gambling. You'll see everything. Because... You know, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure that they're protected to a certain degree as well. But but we've seen cases where, you know, these stories just pop out. So these athletes have to have an extra layer of protection from themselves where, you know, Jordan, he got that from the media. They just they, they loved him. You know, they, they you know, they loved him. He got protected. It's just, you know. I don't understand. I mean, he, you know, because I mean, for a guy that he was kind of private, it's not like he really gave a lot in interviews. But, you know, I just, you know, when they decide that, you know, this is going to be somebody they protect, you know, and he and he he yeah. he really benefited from that. Yeah. And he's the he's the golden boy, which, yeah. you know, real quick, which is probably another reason why the Pistons get persecuted like they did for what they did, because if they pulled that move on somebody else, it might have blown over in two days. Yeah. But, you know, but they did it on the guy that turned out to be the goat. Yeah. So now, you know, so now you have to, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not now you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't mess with the goat and because they they did they get looked um as a dirty team. Uh they get looked unfavorably and you know, that's an excellent way to to pull it all together, man. Um 
the Detroit Pistons, the Bad Boys Pistons, Dennis Rodman was just a freak of nature. Jose, man, any last words you want to share with the public? No, I'm just, uh, you know, thank you for listening. I, you know, I keep looking forward to doing these while we are still in quarantine, you know, and we'll just keep talking about, you know, all the sports that we love and, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed it and, you know, I, and thank you for listening. That's all. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And you know what? I really appreciate everyone who's been tuning in. These have been a lot of fun. Jose and I have been able to chop it up and talk about sports, which is something that we love. We're going to keep bringing this to you. So stay tuned for the next one. Until then, peace out.